All right, today we're continuing in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 7. Then we'll also be reading John, chapter 12, 27 to 32. So as you're able, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? So Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Then John 12, starting at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Again, the crowd stood there and heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ community. Right before I got up here, Unchung turned to me and she goes, just just one verse? (laughs) Yeah, it's just one verse. We added those extra just to pack some in. No, those are going to be very important near the end. We are going to focus on one verse this morning. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name is Pat. I currently serve as one of five elders uh, here at the church. And it's a privilege always to be able to speak to you from God's Word. If you're joining us for the first time, and I'm sure some of you are, we are working through the book of Exodus as a church, and a couple of weeks ago, we came to the Ten Commandments. A couple of things to remind us of before we jump in. They were good reminders for me over the last couple of days. Craig mentioned this on week one, but these Ten Commandments are just as relevant for us today as they were for Israel thousands of years ago. At this church, we do not believe that a man can be saved by following the law. In fact, it is only by trusting in Jesus who gave his life for the forgiveness of sins that a man or a woman can be saved. However, the law tells us what God is like. It tells us about his character and it instructs us on holy living as Christians. Christians who bear the name of God to the world. And so how we live matters. And so these commandments matter to us. One other point as we move toward verse 7, the Ten Commandments are absolutely countercultural, as common as they may sound to us. The way that God's people are called to live according to these Ten Commandments stands in the face of past and current cultural values. And so if you seek to live the way that these commands actually instruct you to live, you will look somewhat weird to other people, as I think we'll see as we push through this. All right, just a brief look back at the past few verses for reference, which I think leads right up to verse 7 here. In verse 2... God reminds them, he begins his commandments by saying to them, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That was a very solid explanation for why in that moment they should pay attention 
to what he was going to say. And there's just a small note here of application for all of us. Looking back, we can see this in Scripture, looking back to God's faithfulness in your life or in history is a really, really good motivator for following him in obedience in the present. So then in verse 3, God says, don't worship other gods. It's pretty simple. If, in fact, God is the one true God, then it is an absolute insane thing to do to begin to worship other gods or godlike things. Don't do it. Don't consider other gods. Don't put other things before God. Not your work, not your family, not your dreams. God is primarily in all things concerned about the worship of himself. And he is the only one that we should worship. So in case we need a reminder, these verses are God talking. God is demanding that God and God alone be the only one, the only thing who is worshipped. Now, God knows his people. He knows us. Knowing their tendency to bend the rules, God says in verse 4, Oh, and don't just not worship other gods. Also, don't carve images of godlike things, you know, like a golden cow. Don't do that. Keep your eyes laser-focused on the one true God. Settle for no substitutes. Bow down to no idols. Give all of your devotion to the one true God. Why? Because verse 5, I am a jealous God. For any one of us in this room to be jealous for another would likely be sin. However, to be jealous for the name of God to be exalted, especially if you are in fact God, is right and it is good. It is the primary concern of God that all of creation should give praise and worship to him so that his name is exalted from end to end in all the earth. And then we come to our text, or our one verse, I should say, for us today. Now, this morning's text is likely one of the most widely recognized biblical texts probably ever. It's very, very simple. I'm going to read it again. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now that second part, not as widely known, but that first part, do not take the Lord's name in vain. We know that. We've heard it. So he says, up until now, I am your God. Don't worship other gods. Don't carve images of gods or idols. And now, don't take my name in vain. And I said that this is a really well-known verse in Scripture. And I think that at first glance, most of us in this room have a basic idea of what this command is getting at, right? Many of us have watched a movie here or there, some that we would not like to admit, or a television show, especially recently, as it's become more common, that uses a particular four-letter word preceded by the word of God. Or maybe in frustration in your home or on the playground, you simply hear God's name said in such a way that the name itself becomes some sort of makeshift four-letter word. So you might ask yourself, is saying OMG a way to break the third commandment from God? The answer is yes, but not necessarily for only the reasons that you might think. See, we have a tendency, all of us, I don't think I'm just speaking for myself, but we have a tendency to make things very measurable so that we know if we're sinning or if we're not sinning. 
Don't carve an image of God? No problem. I don't know how to carve anything. I'm good with that command. Don't take the Lord's name in vain? Also, not a problem. See, I figured this one out in third grade. When I get upset, right, sometimes at my family, true confessions, when I get upset for them for being late for something, no problem. I just change out the D for an SH and the N for an R, and then poof, gosh darn it, can we just get in the car. See? No sin. I'm good. Surely God isn't offended by this. Surely he is not offended by his counterpart, gosh. And darn is just so much softer than that thing that beavers use to clog up rivers. Jumping jacks, we do. If you just pause for a second and consider, it doesn't seem to be very reasonable that there is one of only ten commands given that can simply be followed if we were to omit certain strung-together words. And yet, I think that's what many people seek to avoid in order to not break this commandments. Just don't say the wrong things. I want to mention briefly that there are very common ancient applications of this text. Um, Just a few that I'll, I'll mention. Sorcery was prevalent in that day, more so than now, even though it still is practiced today. And it was common for those who practiced it to believe that they could, again, rather that they could gain some sort of power by invoking the name of gods, like the God of Israel. They should not have done that. That directly violates this command. Additionally, similarly to what happens in a courtroom today when we swear on a Bible, though I've never had to do that, We swear on it to tell the truth. Well, people back then might have taken an oath by the name of God, the God of Israel, in order to prove that they were telling the truth, but then end up breaking that command when, in fact, they began to tell a lie. So those are the commonly, the the oaths and the the commitments and the sorcery, those are commonly what is thought of from the command from that day. But we we have to look a little bit more at what God is saying here. Because the applications, I really do believe, are far more reaching. So here's where we're going to go this morning. First thing, we need to define terms. We don't just assume that everybody has the same terms here. When God says, do not take the Lord's name in vain, what does that mean? What does his name mean? What does in vain mean? Why the word take? Why, why does God say to not take his name? That seemingly is a strange way to say it. Why not just say, don't say my name in vain? Then, after we define some terms, we'll look at the second half of that verse where God talks about the guilt of those who take his name in vain. We'll look at that briefly. Finally, we'll look at Jesus, who ultimately is what this passage and all the Ten Commandments point to. And we'll look at how this applies to our lives. Well, in the first two commands, God speaks of himself in the first person. But in this one, God speaks of himself in the third person. And the reason that's significant is because the name that God uses of himself is very, very specific. And it's intended to be a reminder to God's people of who he is. So if we look back at Exodus 
It's not up there. You can just listen to it. This is when God was leading his people out of Egypt. He says this to Moses. You probably heard this before. He said, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. Now, if someone came up to you and said and asked, who's preaching today? And you said about me, I am was preaching. That would be weird. That's not my name. But it is, in fact, the given name of God. Here's the thing. No one actually gave it to him. It was revealed. I am who I am. It speaks to the supreme nature, the absolute nature of God. He is completely unique, completely other, bound by nothing, no beginning, no end. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It's from those words, I am, that the name Yahweh, which many of us have heard, is crafted. And so when we see the Lord with a capital L in the Old Testament, this is what it's referring to. In fact, that name, the Lord, in the Old Testament is seen about 7,000 times. And it's a stand-in for this, I am who I am. So then in verse 7 here, you shall not take the name, the Lord, I am who I am, in vain. So without question, the name of God is a proper name. So for sure, the way that most of us think about this verse is correct. Don't use the proper name of God in an unholy way. And we'll discuss that more in just a little bit. But it's more than a proper name. In ancient times, as it still is in today's culture, sometimes the name of someone was tied inextricably to their character and to their identity. And most notably, the name of someone was tied to what they did. Now, a name says something about who a person is. So when a child is born, that child receives a name. And it used to be the case, and sometimes still is, that names were given because of a very specific meaning. So my name, Patrick, means noble Nobleman. I like that. Nobleman sounds good. My last name, Frolic, means happy or joyous from Frelick. Therefore, I am a noble, joyful man. Now, I don't know how well that describes me. You all can judge if you know me. And I'm certainly not sure that my parents gave me that name for any particular reason. But I do know that they gave me my middle name, after my grandpa Joe. I am Patrick Joseph Froelich. Okay, I'm just curious, wondering, does, do any of you know where Roscoe Village is in Chicago? Anybody know where that is? A couple? Yep, yep, there we go. So, okay, Roscoe Village, special place in my heart. It used to be a pretty poor neighborhood. Uh, it's now a very wealthy neighborhood. It's amazing what years can do. But back in the 70s and 80s, my grandpa Joe owned a hardware store there, a True Value hardware store. It's now been turned into a sushi bar, which is very sad. Um, But my dad, Jim, from the age of 15 until 34, when I was 12 years old, he worked at that store in Roscoe Village. It was, that store was a staple of the community. And because it was there for over two decades, the Froelichs were known there. So on Saturdays, when my older brother and I would go downtown to the hardware store with my dad, we had the run of the street 
the bakery next door, the hot dog stand, which served the most amazing and the only hot dog anyone should ever eat, Vienna beef hot dogs. The ice cream carts, the the Mexican grocery store across the corner. Wherever we went, we were well known. We were the Froelich boys. There were no cell phones back then, but I assure you, if we got into trouble, which of course never happened, because remember, again, I am the noble, joyful child. But if we did, everyone in a three-block radius would know who to call. Grandpa Joe and my dad, Jim. We, my brother and I, bore, my brother actually has my dad's name. He's Jimmy. My dad's Jim, even more so than me. My brother and I bore the name of our father and our grandfather, and that meant something in that little town. We didn't know it then, but we were taking the name of our father and our grandfather with us wherever we went. We represented the family name. We carried their reputation, even as 12 and 14-year-olds, to others. And I think you can see where I'm going here. A name is more than just a name tag to identify someone from someone else. To merely speak the name of God is to communicate his identity, his majesty, and power, creation, and salvation. God's name is not just what he is called, it is who he is. As one writer suggests, the name of God is the very reality of him. Consider just a few verses that speak of the name of God. No need to turn there. Just listen. From Isaiah 57. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Isaiah 9. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Matthew 1. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We'll look at this in a bit, but Jesus means the one who saves. That's his name. Revelation 19. The name by which he is called is the word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who he is. King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's his name. That's also his identity. See, God does all things and says all things in order that his name might be glorified among all peoples. And I could show you many, many examples. If you're taking the prospectus class right now, that's what you're going through, cover to cover. Many, many times in the Bible we can see this is God's aim, to have his name glorified among all peoples. Just one that comes to mind that you all would remember would be from Psalm 106. This psalm recounts God's bringing Israel through the parted Red Sea right before it crashed down around their enemies. In that psalm in verse 8, it says, Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. That's why he saved them, to make known his mighty power for his name's sake. See, God acted to rescue his people in order that his name might be known and his power displayed. God's name is more than just letters. It is all that God says and it is all that God does. It is the reality of all that God is. When the name of God was spoken, then, as it should be now, it carries a weight. It carries as much weight as if God were present there. So what does it mean then 
to take that name in vain. Well, the idea of taking something in vain is actually a rather simple concept. When God says to not take the Lord's name in vain, he doesn't just mean don't say it negatively. He means for those who come in the name of God, for those who represent him, which are those to whom the Ten Commandments was written, and, of course, to all of us here who they are also written to, we are not to take his name with us in vain. Rather, we are to take it in holiness. A more simple translation might say, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness. A few examples to help flesh that out. If you have $10,000 in credit card debt with a 22% interest rate, which is not uncommon today, and you make the minimum payment every month in an attempt to pay it off in a year, you are paying in vain. Your efforts are futile. If you were on the Titanic as it was sinking and decided that you would use your coffee cup to attempt to bail out the water, you are working in vain. It's wasted effort. If you have severe allergies in the springtime and you constantly have congestion and head pressure and to relieve it, you take ibuprofen. You're downing the little brown pills in vain. It is pointless. They will not help. To do something in vain is to do something that is futile, pointless, to no profit, and probably the best word that I think resonates with me, wasted nothingness. So taking the Lord's name in vain is not just a naughty or crass statement with a four-letter expletive. It is a wasted and unprofitable and pointless endeavor. It is a wasted use of the name of the Most High God. D.A. Carson had this kind of simple example that I think we've all been a part of at some point or ourselves. Imagine you're standing next to someone and they swing a hammer and they hit their thumb and they proclaim, Jesus. You look over to them and you say, of course you would, would you please not use the name of my Savior in vain? As their hand is bleeding. And they say, well, I didn't mean anything by it. That's the point. Take a moment and consider that. See, my natural inclination in any of those circumstances, even though I can understand how it happens, but it's to hear the name Jesus spoken like that as some sort of cuss word in and of itself and think, well, I would never say that. I have other loud things to say when I hit my thumb with a hammer. That's nasty. But that's not why using the name in that fashion is wrong. To lift up the name of God in an unholy way is to speak of him carelessly or flippantly as if the name of God didn't matter that much. And that's how our culture takes it. When the thumb was hit, the name of Jesus was spoken out loud and nothing was meant by it. It is turned into a word void of meaning, void of its reality. The name of God is wasted when used in vain. When we waste the name of God, we proclaim God to be a waste. So yes, the name of God is a proper name. And yes, the name of God is the very reality as it tells us what he has done and it tells us what he is like. And we are called to not misuse that name. But let me get really practical with us in this room, okay? If you're a Christian, when we think about taking God's name, do this. Remember when you came to faith or 
remember your baptism, which is a milestone that some of us can remember clearly. If you were baptized here at Christ Community in the horse trough that is up here, when you are in the water, we ask a series of questions. They go like this. Question number one, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And if you were here, you said, I do. And then we say, do you believe that Jesus died for you to pay for all of your sins? And you said, I do. Do you believe that he rose from the dead and that you will be raised to new life? And you said, I do. The word of God says in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that when you heard the word of truth and believed in him, that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, what that means is you were adopted into God's family and you have, Christian, in that moment, taken the name of God. You have it, a son or a daughter of the king. And so the question now is, will you take it, his name, to worship God and to glorify his name, or will you take that name in a useless and futile and wasted manner? And so if you thought that the only way you could take God's name in vain was to place it in front of the word of the thing that the beavers make, you may want to reconsider that position. The command is much broader. In the second part of verse 7, it reads this, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, that's actually a strange way of stating a warning. It doesn't actually tell you what the punishment is going to be. There are several examples in the Old Testament of people using the Lord's name in vain and being severely punished, even being stoned to death. But the warning here is rather ominous. A simple way for us to get to the point is to think of some authority figure from your youth. For me, it's my grandpa. You're about to chuck a ball at your brother's face, and grandpa looks at you, and he says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And you pause, and you drop the ball, because you know what's coming. At least I knew it was coming. What God means here though it's not said explicitly, is that if you take the Lord's name in vain, it is a very serious sin, and you will be condemned for it. You will be found unrighteous. To break this command, just like breaking any other command, is a serious offense against the holiness of God, and it ought not be taken lightly. But we do take it lightly. And God's people, all of us, including the culture we live in, have taken it lightly. Now, there's good news here. Because, as I mentioned at the very beginning, all of this, it it forces our attention forward to the person and work of Jesus. We could spend more more and more days on sermons about the life of Christ and how he carried out all of the Ten Commandments perfectly. But without question, Jesus perfectly, in every way, took the name of God and glorified it at all times. I just want you to look at a couple verses. We're just going to walk through these, starting in John 1. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of, tr- full of grace and truth. 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, 
who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Look at John five nineteen to 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. John seventeen six. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. You see, Jesus is the very word of God. He is the identity and the reality and the perfect representation of God. Look at John 12. These are the verses that Liz read for us this morning. It says this, Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Now is my soul troubled, and and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have, this is God, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Did you catch that? At the hour of his death, when it mattered most, at the hour of his death, what does Jesus ask of God the Father? Father, glorify your name. In all of Jesus' life, he always lifted high the name of God. He always spoke reverently of God with careful precision, taking great delight in exalting the name of God to children to sinners, to those close to him, to those who rejected them, to those whom he rebuked. And at this point, in his final hour, he says, for this purpose, I have come to this hour of my death. Father, glorify your name. See, Jesus' primary desire when he was about to be murdered was that the name of God not be taken in vain, but be lifted high. Then look. Verse 29, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The voice of God said, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. And Jesus said to us, God said that for your sake. Why? Because in just a little bit, Jesus will be lifted up. When the name of God is not taken in vain, when it is lifted up, the name of God draws the nations to himself. Acts 4, verse 12, listen to this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and earth given among men by which we must be saved. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Listen to this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, God bestowed on his son the name Jesus at birth. And in his life, Jesus glorified the name of God in all that he said and did. And Jesus, in his death, glorified the name of God for all of the world to see. And because of this, God bestowed on him the name above every other name. That name is the Lord. 
When Jesus returns, he will be declared for all to see to be the God of Moses, the God of Israel, the God who is Yahweh, whose name is to never be taken in vain. He will be worthy of that then when he comes. And friends, church, he is worthy of that now. And so if you trust Christ, if you trust in Christ who died for you, the Lord Jesus Christ, who never took the Lord's name in vain, then you, who would be found guilty for your disobedience, because Christ has paid for your sin, you will be saved. And so, let me say this. The absolute Number one, most significant application of this verse, the first thing that you must do if you want to obey this commandment is to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus who died for you and was risen from the dead. There is no greater way to glorify the name of God than to trust in the name of his son Jesus who offers you eternal life. If you remain in a complacent state, saying that Jesus was just a man, that maybe he was a good teacher, but you do not call him the Lord of all creation, then you take his name in vain. And so I urge you, see Christ as your Lord. Receive what he has given to you in his death and his resurrection, the forgiveness of sins. But when you do trust him, and for those of you who already have, as I mentioned earlier, you you have an incredible opportunity. You bear the name of Christ. As an image bearer of God created, having trusted Christ, you bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even if you don't have one of those like cool Jesus shirts, and like my nephew wears a lot of those cool Jesus shirts, even if you don't have those cool Jesus shirts, his name is written on you, and that requires something of you. It requires that you not take the the name of the Lord in vain. And instead, and this is the counter to it, in these commands there's always a negative, but there's a positive that it points to. Instead of taking the Lord's name in vain, you, Christian, ought to lift up the name of God. I'm going to spend the last couple minutes here with just some application. I mean, we could, there's like 50 application points. I'm just going to give you, I think, six or eight. I just want to attempt to give you some practical do's and don'ts first. First application. Don't say what God doesn't say. Instead, say what God does say. It's like, well, duh, right? But have you ever found yourself saying something like, well, God told me I had to go here or there or say this or that? He might have. But I hate to break it to you. But you could be wrong And it gives me shivers to think in history of how authoritatively some people speak for God about things that are not written in the pages of Scripture. God told me to take this job. God told me that you have to do this thing. Friends, if we also read Scripture, we know that the heart is deceitful. And so if we presume to express how we believe God is leading us, which I think is good, May we do so by pouring over the word of God and testing our thoughts against God's thoughts. It is so easy to confuse what we want for what we believe God wants and thus take the Lord's name in vain. And so search the scripture. Let it test your thoughts. Let it test your heart. Let it test your desires against what God has said. Be cautious 
not to say what God has not said and claim it as his. Second application. This is like every application of every sermon. Pray. Pray that God's name would be exalted in the world. Pray that his name would be made known to your kids, to your family, to your neighbors. Pray that his name might be honored in your workplace, on school boards, in your community. This is simple. You don't even have to be at these places. Pray. Pray that God would exalt his name. It's a simple application that we can all be a part of at any time. And if you need help learning how to pray, go on our website, go on the the app. There's prayer meetings across town. Come and talk to an elder. Third application. Take great caution to consider how it is that you speak of God and to God. My kids will attest to this. There have been times when we sit down for a devotional time in the Word or around the dinner table before a meal, and I've had a long day, and my sin and the sin of everyone in the home is on display in some way, shape, or form. And in an effort to just quickly get to the stake in front of me, I might say quickly, Lord Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. What I really mean in my heart is I'd rather be eating this steak at Outback Steakhouse with nobody around me. But in that moment, I am speaking a prayer from a heart that is taking the the name of the Lord in vain. Better that with my family, I pray, Lord, my heart is heavy with grief and it is difficult for me to eat around this table joyfully. Thank you for dying for my sins and for taking God's name perfectly. Help my family to love one another around this table. Better I pray that than just get to the stake. Do not speak about God or pray to God in a manner that treats him as an impediment to what you want to do next. Instead, when you speak the name of God, do so with honesty, with reverence, with awe and thankfulness. You know, there's a friend of mine, I was just thinking about this earlier, who, it always used to bother me, I think because I don't like kind of super emotive Things they give me the heebie-jeebie sometimes. I'm a counselor. I should shouldn't be bothering me. But but I remember being being in prayer with this this friend of mine who who just loves the Lord. And at the end of every prayer, no matter what he said, he would just he would just say so clearly. He would pause and he'd say, "In Jesus' name." I'm like, man. It's like that's like the end of like some big sermon to several thousand people. But, you know, I asked him about it once. Like, why do you do that? He told me. He's like, because in that moment, he pauses to take note of the fact that our prayers are answered by God the Father because we pray in Jesus' name. And so when he says the name of Jesus, he pauses his mind to be reverent in how he speaks of the name of the Lord. And I thought, oh, that is a lesson that I could take. Be cautious how you speak about God and how you speak to him. Do so with reverence. Fourth application. Walk this earth as if you had a large neon sign above your head that points down and said, this one belongs to Jesus. If you were walking around town and had a very large sign that blinked like Las Vegas that said, this one belongs to Jesus, people would stare at you and you would probably act differently. I used to roam the streets of Roscoe Village and I bore the name of my father and my grandfather. How much more, church, 
being saved by the one whose name is above every name, do I bear the name of God. That means that when I act, I must be holy as God is holy. I must give no reason for those around me to question the God that I serve. Be aware of your actions. Be aware of your speech. Be aware of your behavior. It cannot save you. Your good behavior, how you act for Christ, cannot save you. But it can either bring glory or shame to the one who already has saved you. Fifth application. When you don't represent God well, and sometimes you won't. When you take the Lord's name in vain, and sometimes you will. Repent. Confess your sin to God, and specifically, confess your sin to those that you have sinned against, and tell them of the God who has saved you. You are not Jesus. Shocker. You will bear the name of God poorly at times. I pray that you will not, but I am sure that it points you will. When you do, don't pretend it didn't happen. You will honor the name of God when you own it and then point people to Jesus who has better and who has forgiven you. Sixth application. You're doing it here. Gather together as the church and pay close attention to what is happening. Emphasis on the second part. Gather together as the church and pay close attention to what is happening. In this congregation, there are so many opportunities to lift high the name of God. So many. And there are also many opportunities to take his name in vain, even in this room, to speak as if it were nothing. Every week when we are here together, we are called to worship the name of God. Kendall did that at the very beginning. When he stands here, it is a call from the word of God calling us to worship God. We sing the name of God. We did that this morning. We confess our sin We profess that we believe about the name of God. We listen to the name of God being declared over us from the pulpit. When these things are happening, do the words come out as you're contemplating other things in your day? Folks, I have, I think, pretty mild ADHD. My head is everywhere when I'm in here. The encouragement is, Pay attention to the words that you speak, the songs that you sing, what is going into your thoughts and into your heart. When you speak and sing and give praise to the name of God, pay attention, lest you take it in vain. The application overall is very simple. Do not take the Lord's in vain, the Lord's name in vain. The, the surest way to keep this commandment, friends, the surest way is this. Seek to expend your life, your whole life, your thoughts, your actions, your words. Seek to expend that whole life to lift up the name of God, to exalt in the glory of God, in the name of Jesus, in all things, to all peoples, until he returns. That is what I pray this church would be about. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful that the one who came to dwell in sinful flesh did what we cannot do, and he did it perfectly. You came to glorify the name of God, and you died to glorify the name of God. 
And because of that, you were raised to new life. And God, I do pray that all of us in this room, that we would trust Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Holy Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would lead us to live a life that exalts the name of Christ in everything that we do. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.